With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to a special dual cross-post podcast on the FCPA Compliance Report and Great Women in Compliance. I'm joined today by Lisa Fine, Mary Shirley, and Amy Bernard-Bond to talk about some reflections on the Compliance Week 2019. This special dual dual podcast is also duly sponsored, as we're thrilled to have Sarah Haddon and Corporate Compliance Insights sponsor this podcast. This podcast is cross-posted both on Great Women in Compliance and the FCPA Compliance Report on Corporate Compliance Insights. So check out CCI. It's one of the great resources around, and it's only getting better. So with that, uh, you all want to introduce yourselves as well. Starting with you, Lisa. Hi. I'm Lisa Fine. I am the Director of Compliance for the Americas at Pearson Education, and I am also known here as one of the co-hosts of the Great Women in Compliance podcast. Thank you for having us today. Mary? Hi, Tom. Um, I am Lisa's other half in the Great Women in Compliance podcast and Senior Director of Ethics and Compliance at Fresenius Medical Care, a dialysis company. And joining us as a special guest, Amy. Hi, Amy Bernard-Bond. I'm an executive coaching consultant for legal risk and compliance professionals, former chief compliance and ethics officer. So our format today is we're each going to spend a few minutes highlighting one of the uh, presentations that was meaningful to us, uh, whether it was fanboy, fangirl, or just something (laughs) that they like to talk about. Uh, And then we're going to talk about our reflections on this year's conference and uh, just some general observations. So uh, Lisa, you want to start off? Yep, I'm going to start off being a fangirl. Um, my fangirls for uh, Preet Bharara's, um his speech this morning. It was a question and answer format. Um, and I just wanted to highlight three different points that really resonated with me. First of all, we as ethics and compliance professionals often talk about doing the right thing. One of the things that he spoke about in some detail was how doing the right thing is very often the most expedient thing. So I think it just keeps in mind how it works with both what you do in a business and in general. He had some real life examples about certain terrorism cases, the Times Square bombings and how they were handled and it put a very different multidisciplinary perspective on the the whole thing. Um, The second thing that he talked about, um, I'm doing it, it was talking about the line that people, um, you know, what line don't you cross? And then he talked a little bit about for, you know, people who think I can almost get up to the line and avoid trouble, like somebody who might go to the bar, he said, and drink almost up to the alcohol limit, um, but knows not to go past it. Um, and that that can turn out to be, in my words, a little bit shady. 
Um, but the problem also is the people who see that as an influence, they take that, and they may not know how to be quite so smart about it. So it's kind of like how do you reflect and look at the line and how it's important to stay further away from crossing that line, not just for yourself, but for the best of everyone else. Um, and the last point is I really thought he talked a lot about um, his career and general career advice um, that was really can be helpful for all of us. First of all, when he talked initially, he talked a bit about when he became the U.S. attorney, um, that his predecessors, he talked to his predecessor, others who had the job, to learn about the job. Um, the second thing he talked a little about was not just learning how to be a lawyer, because he, he knew how to be a lawyer, but learning how to run a business, since essentially that was one of the things that he was doing as much as what he was doing as a prosecutor. He had lots of people working for him, had to make different decisions, and really looked at it that way. Um, and then the third thing is when he was in the job, he would think about what would be important for continuity within um, his position, and then also what would be important to change and evolve. And I just thought the theme of continuity and change can be applicable to all of us, wherever we are in our careers. You know, what is good about your program? What can you move forward? And because I'd be loath not to bring in the DOJ guidelines talking about that, that looks like what someone might think about for a periodic risk assessment or building your program. What should stay? What should evolve? So those are the three things that really hit me from pre my new best friend who does not know that yet. <laughs> Mary. So I chose uh, the session, the behavioral science behind corporate compliance. And I've always been fascinated by the psychology um, behind what motivates people to do what they do. And in recent years, we've started seeing this come up more often in compliance conferences, sometimes under the name of behavioral economics uh, rather than behavioral science. Um, and so, this session was to do with the importance of interpreting human behavior and the benefits that metrics can deliver. And I think we, we know and, and we use a lot of the data that we already have in front of us, um, most notably perhaps is your compliance action line data, um, to start looking into root causes um, behind how investigations are coming up, where they're from, and, um, and how to best adapt your compliance program to what you're learning from the statistics at hand. But more and more we're seeing transactional data being used, um, so your expense claim data, uh, sales data, to try and understand more about where we may be seeing breaches uh, in our compliance programs that to the, the naked eye may not necessarily be jumping out at you, but with the use of technology helping to identify certain patterns, um, suddenly what you couldn't see before is revealed. So some of the things that I took away, um, we did a benchmarking uh, poll during the session, and I was quite surprised that I think despite the acknowledgement of how important and revealing data science is, uh, for those of you who are not currently deploying um, data analytics to a, a large extent in your company, you may be interested to hear that over half of the audience said that they were not at this point. I think there is a great deal of interest in it and understanding, maybe even understated understanding at this stage as to just how valuable this area is going to turn out to be for us. Um, but just know and be comforted somewhat that if you're thinking about it but haven't quite gotten there yet, that's okay. Um, it is something that is developing and advancing as, as time is moving on. 
Another thing that really hit home for me um, was um, we had uh, one of the Great Women in Compliance guests, Lisa Beth Lentini, on this panel, and uh, she really highlighted for me the um, importance of, if you are a compliance professional, how much data science is going to become a pertinent part of your role. And she likened it to 10 years ago, compliance um, officers saying, oh, I'm not a data figures or Excel spreadsheet kind of a, a person, uh, say for data science, but applying that to cybersecurity, saying, hey, I'm not a tech person, why should I care about cybersecurity? But now look at us and our portfolios. Many of us, if not the vast majority, have to deal with cybersecurity. So thinking about data science in the exact same way, um, I know that for many of us who went to law school, mathematics, Excel spreadsheets give me the heebie-jeebies, um, having to work out basic calculations, make me sweat. Um, but this is something that we're all going to have to accept, whether you like it or not. And as Lisa put it, uh, sorry, Lisa Beth put it, um, data science is coming at us like a freight train. There is no better time than now to start upskilling yourself in this area. Start with the absolute basics. Start understanding how you can take your um, expense claim data um, and look for patterns in it. Who's sitting at the absolute threshold? Which of your salespeople is um, entertaining the same customer multiple, multiple, multiple times in a year? Um, if it's not the same salesperson, do you have multiple people in the company entertaining the same customer? And that's not immediately obvious looking at expense claims, but when you're using the data in front of you and putting it into programs like Tableau, you're going to start seeing that a lot more easily and the answers are going to be revealed to you. So those were my takeaways and um, strongly encourage anyone who's interested in the behavioral science area to start learning more about it. And if you're also interested in learning a little bit more about the behavioral economics, so the reasons behind why people do what they do. Uh, um, there was a great book recommended to me by Ricardo from Broadcat, which is The Law of Good People. And the reason why I think this is really important to start understanding the behaviors is that we talk a lot about compliance from an academic perspective, and that doesn't take into account the, the human factor. If you as a compliance officer train about um, the best practices for what to do when being confronted with asked to pay a facilitation payment or a bribe, and then you find yourself in that situation where huge, intimidating um, customs and immigration officers from a foreign country where you don't speak the language are standing at, uh, right next to you with uh, guns just about as big as they are, which happened to me um, a few years ago. Even though you know what the right thing to do is, I'm not going to lie, I was tempted in that moment to just give them some money and get myself out of that situation. So um, understanding a little bit more about what motivates us, even when it may not be intuitive, even when people know what the rules are, really fascinating stuff. So Amy, you actually led a session today. Um, and although you led the session, I, I would say the stars of the session were the participants. And uh, so I was wondering if uh, you were going to talk about that session or you had something else in mind. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I had a couple sessions today and then just some observations in general around how people are viewing their compliance careers. Great. Um, you know, I think we've seen the profession evolve over the last 20 years. And what I'm really excited about that just seems to really be peaking right now is compliance officers and risk professionals thinking of their careers three to five years out. I'm seeing people be a lot more proactive and a lot more planful and very optimistic about the skill set 
that they have and about this being a career. I know, Tom, when you and I started, people were wondering, oh, is this really a separate career or is this just a, a, a legal detour, you know, and it's going to be a fad and go away. And I'd say that based on the conversations I'm seeing and having um, today, it's, it's very much um, not only past that, but just people are excited about the future. So one of one of um, co-presenters was Heather Fine at Major Lindsay in Africa, and she talked about what a robust market there is right now for recruitment and for jobs and for opportunity for compliance professionals, so that was exciting. The salaries on average are well into the 200s. There's a little bit more of a bump if you're an attorney, but still very healthy, very, a very healthy C-suite style salary, even if you're not. Um, so that was one trend that I liked. Um, people moving from chief compliance officer to GC or back um, was very interesting. And then also people interested in board membership as, as a mature point, which I also love as a career progression. And you and I have been advocating strongly for more legal risk and compliance professionals on corporate boards. So that's a trend that I think will continue. Um, thirdly, I saw people really wanting to know, how can I risk-proof my career? I'm, I'm a technical specialist. I know what I need to know about whether it's FCPA or data science or IT, but you know, what do I need to do next to get to the C-suite level and maybe even be a CAO or a COO? Um, and so some of the takeaways there that the audience and we talked about were the importance of how leaders really succeed or fail based on two things. And one is how well they know themselves, and the second is how well they get along with others. And that really goes for any profession. And so the audience was wonderful about sharing how they got that information, whether it was a 360 or candid feed-forward sessions. Um, Kim Yapchai shared that what she often does is take someone out for coffee who's a key stakeholder and say, hey, you know, can you just tell me three things? What can I start, stop, and keep doing that will make me more effective in my role? And that she does that regularly. And that that's been really helpful to make sure she doesn't have any blind spots. Because we may think we're doing great, but you don't really know until someone someone tells you, and that can really help you continue to develop, and those things are great for board skills or for any executive role. So those were some of the fun things. So uh, I wanted to talk about Wei Chen's keynote. Uh, first of all, if you ever have a chance to go see Wei Chen, don't walk, run. She is an incredibly dynamic speaker, and she is light years beyond uh, most every compliance practitioner I know, including myself. She is just, uh, the, her thoughts, her where she uh, is in terms of compliance programs, data, psychology, uh, really everything except law, which is where compliance needs to go. She is light years ahead. So uh, it was a fascinating uh, presentation. But what, one of the things that intrigued me, she said, before, to, to know where we're going, we need to know where we've been. And she put together a five-decade review of uh, basically business ethics that I thought was great. So she started in the 70s with framework building, uh, and here she picked the Environmental Protection Act, OSHA, Clean Water Act, and various environmental laws which uh, set frameworks in place, uh, not anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance, nevertheless put frameworks in place. The decades of the 80s were the beginnings of corporate self-governance, uh, in the uh, 90s, there were incentives added for compliance programs, largely in the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines enacted uh, in 1992, and then the Caremark decision from the Delaware Supreme Court in 1996. In uh, the decade four, the decade of the aughts, 
Uh, we started off the decade literally with a bang because of Enron and WorldCom. That, of course, led to Sarbanes-Oxley, and we had 9-11, and uh, we had an explosion of uh, FCPA uh, enforcement actions. Uh, many speculate largely because of uh, security and terrorism. Nevertheless, uh, the explosion did happen. And then, of course, uh, this decade, the fifth decade, uh, she characterized as a decade of internationalization. Uh, in 2010, we had the uh, UK Bribery Act come into effect. Uh, we have had uh, Sapondu uh, in France. We've had the Clean Companies Act in Brazil and uh, other anti-corruption initiatives to which I would add the internationalization of not laws but also enforcement efforts. So we had the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, develop very strong relationships with prosecutors in other countries, and that's led to cross-jurisdictional and cross-border enforcement actions, such as we have with Rolls-Royce, Petrobras, uh, and several other very major cases. Uh, then she moved to the current challenges she saw around compliance, and she was very clear that uh, the, the days of a rules-based paper program uh, are long gone. What companies or what the government, she believes, is looking at now, and of course she was the only first and only compliance counsel, uh, resource to the Department of Justice are effective compliance programs and principles-based compliance programs. The current challenges are the proliferation of risk areas, uh, whether you call that, uh, or I should say it's diverse as Me Too, cybersecurity, uh, trade compliance, uh, AML or any money laundering in the non-banking sector, the arrival of big data, and how do you analyze big data, proving effectiveness, and she ended with the polarization of society and how that impacts a wide variety of areas, and perhaps trade uh, compliance is one of the greatest ones, but that's going to impact all forms of compliance. So she said the three themes of where we're going are the integration of data and risk, uh, the measurement of outcomes, and then she ended with a question of what is doing ethics? as we move from being compliant to doing ethics. So uh, once again, if you, uh, if you ever have the chance to hear Wei Chen, uh, Run, Don't Walk, it was a great presentation, and uh, I certainly got a lot out of it. And I thought we now might take a few minutes with uh, just kind of getting uh, people's general observations of the look, the feel, the vibe, uh, and all of those sorts of things. So Lisa? All right. So. I think um, anytime I come to one of these, but particularly with Compliance Week, I think there's a really fantastic blend of both the substance and the panels and the people that I, I learned from, and also the opportunity to really network. They seem to really hit that part of it out of the park. Like I feel like the whole time I'm almost processing newer things and new experiences, but I also, you know, you, you get just the right amount of a lot of that, and I thought that was terrific. I, um, you know, I, I had a great opportunity when I spoke yesterday. I really, it was my first time speaking here, so that was really inspiring to have people asking questions and truly being engaged with the subject that, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I could I could fangirl and nerd out for hours talking about hotlines and culture and jurisdictions. So I think that, you know, that was really exciting for me to see that that many people, that we were a community together. Uh, the second thing is that there's a very consistent feeling in my mind about us in terms of ethics versus compliance, as opposed to talking, people talk about the compliance officers or the Department of No or the perceptions, but I feel like 
everyone here is really very, you know, see that people want to do right. It's the positive side of being ethical and being compliant in terms of doing the right thing. And I just thought it was interesting that that theme resonated throughout many of the panels that I went, went to or joined and discussions that I was having outside those panels. And I, I think that that's a really fantastic direction for the profession and for those joining it. Amy? I think it's a generous community. I've always loved when I went in-house and joined compliance because it's so solution-oriented and I found that both during and after the sessions that I participated in, people were, were engaging and, and networking and finding ways to support each other. It's not an easy job. Um, we're always under-resourced. I mean, not one person said they had enough resources um, several, you know, approached me with challenging situations they have with perhaps a lack of sponsorship in their own organizations. That's, I think, one of the most challenging situations we have in organizations sometimes. And people are just so empathetic to that. And um, I just feel like this is a, is a safety zone for all of us as professionals to be able to talk about things. We always have to put on the tough mask, I think, in the organization. And, and um you know, not show maybe where we're not getting the support that we need because we can't really front face that, but here we can, and that's that's where I think this is really important. I think people get recharged here. I think you can charge your battery in terms of your resilience and your own North Star and thinking about next steps if you have to. So I like I like the support and warmth of the community. Mary? I echo these sentiments completely. Uh, for me, it is what I love the more I go to these things is the exponential number of people that I can run up to, say hello, give a hug, because I know them now. And that support community is massive, um, and it grows every single time without fail. Um, and I think Amy's comment is completely right, but it, does, it seems counterintuitive um, that we recharge. And the reason for that is... You know, I know your calendar um, for this um, the, this week that we're here uh, and my own calendar, and these are long days and long nights. Uh, we end up attending all of the sessions. Uh, there are breakfasts in the morning where we network, um, and then we go off and do uh, dinners. We held a lovely um, women in compliance dinner last night, the three of us. Um, and... It, it may seem counterintuitive that those long days and long nights are recharging, especially for those of us um, who are introverts. <laughs> and yet, um, I cannot sort of begin to explain the satisfaction, um, the sense of um, camaraderie that I feel coming out of these conferences every single time. And it is the people that are uh, speaking on this podcast with me right now that are a huge part of that. So grateful for the friendship and the, the support. And um, I've, I've had a great time these last few days so far. Uh, I'm going to really uh, raise a couple of different points, uh, but they struck me as equally as powerful to me. The first one was I'm uh, always fascinated by structure and flow. And by that I mean how do the people move around? And this conference is always unique. It's held at the Mayflower Hotel every year. The main conference rooms are split by a very long hallway. And previously, all the vendors were in the hallway. And it created an incredible buzz uh, because the vendors were talking to people. People were stopping by to talk to the vendors. The food was in the middle. Uh, and people were trying to walk and, and move. And it just uh, created a vibe that I really enjoyed. 
Uh, they changed it up this year and moved all of the vendors into, uh, they took a wall down between two state rooms. So it, it was the, a huge room with the vendors. The hallway was wide open, and to me it looked almost empty. Having said all of that, I felt like it really worked. And it really worked because the flow was incredibly easy. Uh, and the vendors, and actually, to me, seeing they were a little more energized this year because they weren't fighting to having to talk over all the buzz in the hallway. So I was really intrigued by how this physical change, uh, I thought, actually facilitated the conference. A second observation was, this was the first conference I've been to, first compliance week conference I've been to, where I felt like literally the entire conference was forward-looking. And what I mean by that, it was not, here's how you do this, here's how you write a policy. Uh, I did a workshop on Sunday on internal investigations along with Jonathan Marks, who uh, did root cause analysis. Very technical, very nuts and bolts. And I feel like that was years ago now. The pr presentations I heard were all not where we've been, but where we're going. And it, it, it made me feel like uh, I got to start over. And I got to start over to learn a whole new set of skills. I've got to start over to learn a whole new way of thinking. And I've got to start over to learn um, very different ways of doing things. Uh, obviously, I have a, a basis in that, but it really struck me that this was the most forward-looking conference, uh, certainly for Compliance Week, and it, it shows or portends, uh, a la Karnak the Great, where we're going to be in compliance uh, in the 2020s. Um, Amy, I wanted to ask you, because I sat in on your conversation today where you followed up uh, on the um, compliance officer, and I intentionally just listen today because I wanted to hear what the questions were and I was really intrigued by there were several non-lawyer compliance officers in there yeah, and were. they were worried or at least raised questions about what their professional future was as non-lawyers and uh, what did you think of that? I think it's an age-old, I don't think it's a new issue. Um, I don't think it's a new issue, and I don't think it's an issue as long as you don't want to be a general counsel. I mean, we know that you can't be a general counsel and not have a JD. Um, so we had some auditors. You know, that was interesting. Um, and then, you know, usually I find some PMPs or some people who have been brought in because of their Excel. You know, I'm looking at Mary here because I <laughs> hate I Excel. It, yeah. One of my first functional hires was someone who could make Excel sit up and bark like a dog because I can't <laughs> stand it either and I needed it for my AML and my FCPA and you know all the data diving mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. we need to do. Um, gosh, Tom, you know, there are more um, grad degrees and certs now that you can get in compliance that don't require a JD that didn't exist like 10 years ago, so that's kind of exciting. You know, you can get a master's in compliance now in some places. So there's other options for non-lawyers, non um, certification programs, I mean there's always been the SCCE one, ECI has one as well. Um, I think there's always going to be that perception, but we all know that it's about positioning in the company, it's about respect. If someone goes out and gets the skills they need, they don't necessarily need the JD. They might need the executive presence. Sometimes lawyers, because um, we get whacked upside the head in law school, we tend to be forced into having executive presence, especially if you've done law in motion or you've had to, 
you know, present in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it can't be learned. I mean, in fact, in most of my sessions, I told people exactly how it can be learned. Um, so what were your thoughts about where that, that gap or that perception might be? For uh, I just thought it was intriguing uh, to indicating that we're going to bring in more non-lawyers mm-hmm. and that uh, having them there participate, having them here, having them participate, having this ask those questions really made me uh, think that uh, we're going to move more toward the business process. I think we are. And to Mary's point as well, um, because of the data um, and just the diversity of skill sets that are going to be needed, program management, project management, I think we're going to see more PMPs. Um, I think we're going to see more people who know how to manipulate data, which is going to be IT. I had a gentleman in my session, you may have heard him talk, who felt too buried in IT. But I said, no, 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 your day is coming. I mean, you're... Yes, learn the other skill sets, too. Don't allow yourself to be pigeonholed, but, but you have a leverage point in knowing the IT because you can translate. We need translators because um, we all know really deep controls of any scale in an organization are always necessarily going to require IT at this point and AI, which is coming. And I was just at the, at the Stanford D School last week and we were talking about AI and virtual reality and thinking about the applications to that and compliance are really fascinating in terms of scenario planning and predicting future forward. So Mary and Lisa, the co-host of Great Women in Compliance, uh, it seemed to me that at this uh, Compliance Week we had more focus around a conversation you two lead, which is Women in Compliance. The three of you participated in the Women in Compliance Dinner. Uh, Compliance Week had a uh, Women in Compliance lunch. So uh, I really wanted to get your thoughts, and, and Mary, you participated in a conference in London, uh, Women in Compliance. So I was wanted to, wanted to get your thoughts to see if you feel like there's a greater recognition of some of the concepts and topics you've been trying to bring to the fore through your podcast. Um, you know, I think there's some of that, but I think what there's more of is a very much of a sense of community and that it's a community that's constantly building and that really getting to hear people's stories as women have brought us together in those ways. I think I've learned a lot substantively that I may not have otherwise, and I think there's a recognition of that, and I think I also think there's a real part of you know, women learning from each other and enjoying each other's company. I don't, I think we don't spend time you know, Me Too can be a panel that you will go to, but when we get together as a group of women, it was like last night and Thank you to Amy and Mary, who you know, came up with the idea, too. It was very inspiring just to be around people that, you know, I joked earlier about fangirling, but, like, these are the people in compliance who many of them have blazed paths, and, you're, and you think to yourself, wait, these are now in my colleague group. And without the, without the podcast, I don't think we would have been able to be there. Um, and that's where I come out on it. Mary? Absolutely, and I think to echo Lisa's thoughts about feeling inspired, one of the reasons it has been said that women haven't necessarily always been able to advance, especially those from disadvantaged backgrounds, is the lack of female role models who have been around, or or mentors, um, that have been able to help them get through challenges that those senior women have already experienced. And so this sense of community that Lisa was referring to is huge, not just for the Uh, the sense of well-being that we feel in terms of having this support network, but more substantively in terms of being able to move beyond. If you have a problem or an issue that you didn't necessarily have someone 
around to talk about it with. Well, here is this fantastic group. And I think one thing that really stands out for me is that I am very cognizant of the fact that many of the women, Lisa and, and Amy are great examples, and, and you, Tom, in the industry, who are well more experienced than I am, uh, both in life and in the, the legal and compliance arenas. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for me to have the opportunity to, to be around such strong uh, subject matter expertise and, you know, I, I, I don't want to be flip about this, but genuinely wise people, I feel so lucky um, to, to, to be a part of the community and have you guys not treat me as anything less um, because I have that, that lesser package of experience than you do. So thank you for including me. Some of us may agree to disagree on that, but that will be a separate podcast. <laughs> so uh, we're com coming up there is our time, but what we're going to end with is a lightning round. And that lightning round is however long you want to talk about one thing that really struck you. And since I just threw this out at you, I will start so you guys can think <laughs> about you, Thanks, what uh, you want to talk the about. And uh, the one thing that struck me the most was early on in Preet Bharara's remarks, he talked about the uh, Times Square uh, bomber, uh, attempted bomber. He was unsuccessful. And uh, he was caught after a 57-hour manhunt, literally on a plane leaving the country. And he was brought back. The plane had left the terminal, uh, but had not taken off. The plane came back, and he was arrested. There was a big debate in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York of whether this person should receive a Miranda warning. Uh, the Miranda, if the Miranda warning is given, then someone knows that they can clam up uh, until they have a counsel present. And there is an exception to a Miranda warning that can be given later if uh, imminent lives are in danger, and they felt like that was the situation. The uh, New York, city of New York detective who was in charge of the interrogation of the prisoner and had literally got him off the plane and started to talk to him, made the decision within about 10 minutes to Mirandaize him. Miranda, Miranda dies him. And he made the decision because of the rapport he had developed uh, with uh, the bomber. And because he did give him his Miranda warnings, everything he said became admissible in court. And it struck me that that's the textbook definition of operationalizing your compliance program. You have a general set of guidelines, you push them out to the BD or sales force out in the field, and then they make a decision based upon their assessment of the risk. And uh, it just struck me as that that's compliance. So who wants to go next? Well, in that case, we'll keep the same order. Lisa. <laughs> I would just like to thank everybody for having me go first, because that might be what has struck me in this lightning round. <laughs> But with that said, um, I think that for me what struck me is just the diversity of the different people I listened to and learned from and interacted with this week, whether it was people who came from law or didn't, who were from all over the world, whether it was someone who like loved data or somebody who, you know, like me, was really a words person at heart. It really just hits me every time, like, how this profession is so wide-ranging. Um, I mean, the substantive point, like what you talk about, about, you know, my best friend Preet, um, and also to new like, best friend. New best friend. In case you're listening, fan um, <laughs> <Damn> girl. <laughs> um, and this is, I mean, and I think that this also shows it the camaraderie that you have in this community 
And the, I mean, I just learned so much. I mean, just and the people that you know, I kind of repeat that point over and over again. But I, that's where I feel in my compliance development. Um, and I just think that that's you know just been amazing this week. It was very striking to me. Amy. I'm going to cite the vulnerability. I was really impressed with Preet actually being quite vulnerable about mistakes he's made and his efforts to stay aware of his own blind spots. He, he spoke like a coach, actually, in several instances. He talked about you know, checking in. He talked about the EQ around when to give that Miranda warning and how it's an art rather than a science. And when you feel like you... He used an analogy of the first kiss, actually. I yes. apologized for the analogy, but but I, we all understood what he meant, which was around there's this moment where you feel like you really made a connection with someone. It's a temporary state, and it's going to evaporate, and so do you do you recognize that momentum when you have it to, to Mirandize someone and to then be able to do what you need to do? And um, I feel like throughout the conference, I've been amazed at people who have been sharing their stories to Mary um, and Lisa's points around the community of women, I think that's, you know, when people share that they didn't get the promotion or that they screwed up with sales and lost the relationship and had to recover because they went too hard on an investigation or went too too tough on something. That's where we can really learn from each other. Those are those crucible moments that I think are so important to share and to bring the next generation up and to, you know, to, to, to use Preet as an example, someone who's, who's clearly um, has a growth mindset and is continuing to learn. So I love that part of it. Mary? For me, um, it was when Hui Chen essentially challenged us to go back to basics. And she talked about how we so often like to tout the phrase, you know, that we've got an effective compliance program. And, and the question then becomes, well, what does that really mean? What does effective mean? Um, what are you measuring for? Uh, so for me, when I, the first thing that came to mind for me was uh, my little tagline, and I always like to say, um, I have a robust and defensible compliance program. And then the question is, well, well, what makes it so? Um, and so challenging us to go back to what is the ultimate aim of what we're trying to achieve, and just referring back to the session that I discussed earlier on um, human behaviour and data science combining, um, is, you know, before you begin to even measure um, or, or analyze anything in your compliance program, remember to ask yourself first, what is it that you're trying to achieve? What is it that this exercise is about? Don't just jump in with your data sets um, and wildly look for things. What are those things that you are trying to look for and why are you doing it? What do you hope to achieve in this exercise? So thanks to Hui for reminding us to go back to basics and ask ourselves, uh, what is it that we're really trying to achieve? I yes. have one more thing now that I had a minute to think that I'd like to add, <laughs> if that's all right. Um, I also thought when Christy Grant Hart, following on to Mary's point, would talk about the because, mm -hmm. that really did hit me in a very different way as well because it was not just you know, I was thinking of it, first of all, explaining to people we're doing X because, which is important, but I also thought of it back towards me and my program and the work I'm trying to do in a new role. Why am I doing this? Why do others? And the because answer to that. And I think that that helps to dig deep on the Lee Chen point. And I really thought Christy did a great job on that as well. Well, ladies, it's been a ton of fun. Uh, I hope we get the chance to do it again. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.